to see everybody this morning, to hear your voices all singing together, to experience the, the love of this community. Um, I love this. I love this every Sunday. I love that we can gather. I love that we are in each other's lives and in, in a lot of ways in each other's messes, helping each other out, serving one another, and, and all together trying to learn what it means to love God more. So I love... These Sundays, I love this body and the way that we come together. It's, um, it's a great joy of my life. Today, we're talking about love, and we're coming to love through the book of Galatians. So you can open your Bible to Galatians. We're in Galatians 5, we're focusing on verse 22, and throughout His letter to the Galatians, Paul has shown us very convincingly that there is no way that you can earn the love of God, not by obeying the law, not by circumcision, not by striving to please God, not by anything that you can produce. There is no way to earn the love of God. His love is a free gift, and that gift is given in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's faith. In Jesus Christ that removes God's wrath from us and brings us into his family where you and I are adopted as sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. God's love now lavished upon us as a gift. You don't have to earn it. You have to believe it. It's true. Believe it. Trusting that Jesus died for you brings the love of God rushing over you like a a flood, a torrential flood, a torrent, a rushing river. By faith in Jesus Christ, the Father floods our hearts with newness of life and with his Holy Spirit. And the Spirit, now living within us, is there to make you a completely restored, redeemed, whole person. A person in the image of God. A person who looks like their heavenly Father. The Holy Spirit is working in you to make you look and be righteous. And God the Spirit will ensure that you bear that fruit, the fruit of righteousness, the fruits of the Spirit, which is where we are today, the fruit of the Spirit. Today we continue, as we continue our study through Galatians, we come into the fruits of the Spirit. We start with love. We're going to take the, the next nine weeks to take each fruit at a time and open it, hopefully in a new way to every one of us, and take time to digest each fruit. So today with love, what I want, I want to answer three questions. How does love relate to the other fruits? What does God as love mean? And what does love for God and love for one another, how those, do those two things relate Well, let's look at the passage. Galatians 5, hopefully you've already turned there. Let's start reading in verse 16. Follow along, if you will, and I'm reading from the ESV. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let's pray. It is by your Spirit, Father, that these words are going to do anything in our hearts, that they're going to come to life and bear fruit in us. So we ask you, we plead with you to move by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning in each one of our hearts and bear fruit. And as we focus on love, Father, I pray that our hearts would be flooded with that love, whether we've known that love at some lenting, overwhelming love, the infinite love of God, flood us with that. And then may it rush out of our hearts like rivers of living water and flood everything around us, all, all the people around us that you've put us in contact with. These things are too great for human effort, for human understanding. Again, move by the power of your Spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we saw that the Spirit and the flesh are at war with one another, within every believer. The Spirit desires the things of righteousness, the things of God. The flesh desires selfish gratification. Give me what I want. And these two things, the Spirit and the flesh, are in constant battle for your attention and your affections. They're in battle for your heart. And so Paul sets in contrast what is produced by these differing sides in the war. The flesh, demanding that it be served, produces all kinds of self-gratifying, fleeting works of wickedness. And each one of these works has relational fallout. Eventually, every one of those works of the flesh will drive you away from every meaningful relationship that you've ever known. But more profoundly, to serve the flesh, to give your heart to the desires of the flesh, is to be eternally separated from the kingdom of God. Rather than God's love, His wrath will be poured out upon you for endless age upon endless age. Now conversely, the Holy Spirit, not demanding anything of you, but creating within you, He creates all kinds of righteousness, all kinds of righteous fruit. The Spirit is working within every follower of Jesus Christ to produce this fruit. Not demanding, creating. Let's look at those fruits again, starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these, there is no law. 
That's amazing. Those fruits of the Spirit that the Spirit is working to produce in you. That is amazing. Don't we want that to look like that for those things to be true of us? And it's promised right there if you're a follower of Christ. The first thing to note about the fruits is that they're not fruits. They're not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruits of the Spirit. It's singular. That might seem at first like a small distinction, but it reveals a magnificent, powerful truth. The Spirit does not give to one patience and love to another. He doesn't give this believer self-control and this believer joy. He gives every believer all of them, every single one of them. He is working them all in you now. They come as a package. They are woven together. Nine virtues produced in every single believer. Which means that every single believer needs to be active in seeing these fruits produced in their lives by the Spirit. Every person in this room who calls themselves a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, needs, should, should be longing to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control growing in their lives, abounding in their lives, alive in them. Every believer should want to see that, be active in pursuing that. So if you're paying close attention to the things that I've just said, you might want to call me out for presenting a contradiction. The fruit of the Spirit comes by the Spirit, given by the Spirit, the Spirit working in you to produce the fruit. And yet, somehow, I am saying that you're responsible for those fruits to be produced in your life. Well, that's a paradox. It's something that we are going to try to hold in tension over these next nine weeks. And hopefully you will see this tension um, harmonize as we step through our passage today. How the Spirit is working in you to produce love, and yet how you are responsible to be loving. So hopefully you'll see that as we go through it. Right now, I want to consider the order of these fruits. There are dozens and dozens of ideas and categorizations and breakdowns of how these fruits are supposed to be ordered. And I didn't bother reading them all. But what I did see everywhere, in every commentary, I saw one order stand out. Love comes first. Love is the primary and foundational fruit All the other fruits are built upon love. And in fact, none of the other fruits can exist functionally without love. They all hinge on love. They all need love. So as Paul says in Colossians, Above all, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Or Peter writes, Above all, keep on loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So above all, Love. So in the next two months, you're going to see that as we pull down each fruit, there's love. 
They bring them together in harmony. They cover over a multitude of sins. Love fighting against the flesh. Love will be present with every bite we take of these fruits. And there's going to be much intermingling of the fruits with one another because they are all woven together. And all the more reason then to call them together the fruit of the Spirit. They are different virtues, and so I will talk about them as different fruits, but really different virtues. But they are one fruit in that the Spirit is growing them all together as one fruit in the heart of every believer. So important to see. Two weeks ago, we looked at Galatians 5.14, where Paul says, The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You must love your neighbor as yourself. Now that word, that command, if it's taken as a law, does nothing to help you love somebody. To say to you, love your neighbor as yourself, that doesn't do a thing to help you love your neighbor as yourself. All that that does is to show you the ways that you are not loving your neighbor, but you're loving yourself. That's what that law, that, that word taken as a law does. You cannot make yourself love others and serve them like you love and serve yourself. It's impossible. But what you can't make yourself do, the Holy Spirit has invaded your life to produce in you. Not to make you do it, but to want to do it. To change your desires and your affections. And the way that the Holy Spirit does this is to show you the source of all love. Not you. God. In 1 John 4, 8, he writes, God is love. So you've been around the church, maybe not. You've heard that. God is love. What does that mean? It has been wildly misrepresented. It does not mean that God and love are equal to one another. You can't reverse it to say that love is God. That's reductionistic and blasphemous. Rather, God is love means two things. First, two things that the Spirit is trying to show you. Even now, the Spirit wants you to see. The first is that love is sourced in God. Love comes from God. Love exists because God exists. And everything that God is, there is love. And I love this quote by A.W. Tozer from his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. I love, love this quote. From God's other known attributes, we may learn much about his love. We can know, for instance, that because God is self-existent, his love had no beginning. Because he is eternal, his love can have no end. Because he is infinite, it has no limit. Because he is holy, it is the quintessence of all spotless purity. Because he is immense. His love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea before which we kneel in joyful silence from which the loftiest eloquence retreats confused and abashed. The love of God is this immense, bottomless, shoreless ocean that renders us speechless and dumbfounded. So amazing. 
and our understanding of this ocean is minuscule, painfully inadequate. But the Spirit wants us to see it. God's love, God is love means that all love flows, originates in God. He's the source. He is love. Now the second thing that God's love means is that everything that God does is an expression of that love. Everything that God does is an expression of his love. So every action, all of his wrath, the displays of his glory, the power in creation, his judgments delivered, his graces given, all of them are perfect expressions of his perfect love. And we might not see everything as expressions of love through our painfully limited eyes. All things as expressions of God's love. He is the source of all of that love. Knowing God is love and acts only in love brings powerful meaning to verses like Romans 8.28. And I pray that the Holy Spirit speaks as I read it. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. I know that you've probably heard that verse before. Every event in your life is being worked together for your good. Every moment, every joy, every pain, every loss, every celebration, all of it in the end will prove to be an expression of God's love for you. All of it is God's love in action, even if it hurts right now. Indeed, everything, every event that's ever happened in all creation, in all time, is a display of the love of God. And in the, event, in the end, it will prove to be so. But the loudest display, the most profound display of that love, the most life-changing way that the Holy Spirit reveals that love of God and in all of its intricacies and in all of its vastness is to show you a painful, torturous, bloodied cross from 2,000 years ago and how from that cross, that ancient cross, God's love extends into today. Romans 5, verses 5 through 8. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That word poured, poured out, poured into, poured into our hearts, that is the same word that's used to say outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's a word that means free-flowing, a, a massive quantity, an inundation. So to put it another way, God's love freely flows in an overwhelming inundation into our hearts through the Holy Spirit because of the cross. The Spirit is proclaiming in the hearts of every, in, in, into the hearts of sinners, 
the greatest shout of the love of God, which is the Son of God spilling his blood on a criminal's cross for the criminals. His life for our life. His suffering for our joy. His righteousness in place of our sinfulness. Wrath poured out on him that love would be poured out on us. And this love is so great, so massive, so incomprehensible that the Holy Spirit moved Paul to such awe and praise that he wrote these words. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecutions, or famines, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who can understand these words? Who can know the love of God in all its fullness? And we can't. And yet, as unrelenting, as an incredible as that love is, after it drove Paul to write words then as selfless as this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The love of Christ on the cross drove Paul to write that he would forsake everything, even his own life, for the sake of Christ. Paul will die to his own desires to see the desires of Christ fulfilled to such a degree that he can say, in all honesty, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. God's love for Paul washed away his desires to live for self-love and instead live for the things that Christ loves. And what does Christ love? Christ loves his Father. And his love for the Father found its greatest expression on a cross where he loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, Christ's love for the Father was expressed through his love for us. That's just got to blow your mind. 
This eternal, infinite love that the Son has for the Father finds its greatest expression on a criminal's cross where he died for you and me. And I just want to go back to what Paul said. What, can we, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us. Who can be against us? Jesus' all-consuming love for the Father then has this transforming effect on what it means to love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself, that command. Love your neighbor as yourself. That doesn't make sense anymore. The Holy Spirit is washing away love for yourself and replacing it with love for Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so to say, love your neighbor as yourself doesn't make sense. You've died. It's precisely why Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The kingdom, in the kingdom of God, self-love is not the standard of love. The standard is the love of God displayed on a cross. It's a love that has no regard for outward appearances. It's a love that's not afraid to speak the truth, even die for the truth. It's a love that freely, generously, genuinely gives grace. It gives. It's a love that is self-sacrificial. It's a love that gives and it gives and it gives, even if it costs the self everything. It's a divine love flowing from God by the Spirit into our hearts. You see, when, when God's love for you is understood and received, then the natural response is to love God in return. And the way that your love for God finds its expression is by loving one another. This is marvelous. That God would so pour out his love for us and our natural response if that love is received is to love God in return. And the way we express that love for God is to love one another. Listen to how John says it. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It's all right there. The source of love, God, demonstrating his love for us through the life and death of Jesus Christ. And then the way that we demonstrate our love for God is by loving one another. And when that happens, when we are loving one another out of our love for the Father, then amazingly, it is God, it is God's love working in us, being displayed, being perfected in us. God, 
in some miraculous way, is being made visible by our love for one another. And Paul tells us in Romans 5, 5, that it's the Holy Spirit that is pouring out that love into our hearts. Love is the first, most profound fruit of the Holy Spirit. Selfless, Christ-like love means that you are born of God. And that the Spirit is alive, working in you, producing fruit. Therefore, you ought to love one another. And now you could take that as a command, to go out and to fulfill your duty of loving one another. That isn't at all what John is writing. That isn't at all what Jesus meant when he gave his new commandment. You ought to love one another is to say that now that the Spirit is residing in you, pouring out torrents of the love of the Father in you, you ought to be pouring out torrents of love like rivers of living water out of your heart into the world around you. It ought to be happening. So like a fish ought to swim and a, and a bird ought to fly, a Spirit-filled person ought to freely, joyfully, self-sacrificially be loving one another. It is the consequence of the Spirit living in you. Two weeks ago in the sermon entitled The Freedom of Slavery and Love, I spent a lot of time going through very practical ways that we can love one another, serve one another. And today I'm not going to spend time going through practical ways of how we can love one another. Rather, I think it would be great to hear how the Spirit is bearing fruit in the lives of people in this church, the fruit of love. And so I'd like to invite up three lovely darlings, Linda Malabar, Linda Balzano, and Teresa Gerdo. Would you please come up here? And they're going to share about the way that God has been working love out in their hearts, in their lives. So this is Linda Malabar and Teresa Gerdo and Linda Balzano, if you don't already know them. And I'll hand the mic to you, oh, I have to hold Linda. The mic. <laughs> Would you like me to hold it? Okay. Um, <clears throat> I was going to... Um, I won't take too long. <laughs> so I am going to read them. <laughs> okay. Um, Let me start with last year, 2018, July 17th and August 28th, I had two surgeries scheduled five weeks apart at Roswell Park Cancer Institute in Buffalo. The results were melanoma stage 3A in the lymph nodes which were removed. The concern and prayers began at IBC once I shared my condition. It was love and action to help ease my travels as Ruth Mogul gave me a map and directions on how to get to Roswell. That was a load off my mind. <clears throat> for Ruth recently had to be there for surgery and, now, and knew what I was going through. After my daughter Sherry and my son Mike did all they could to get me there and home, IBC seized the opportunity to help. I was mending from two extensive surgeries and a drain-in for five weeks. The real healing began with the care I received from you all with praying, bringing meals, helping me with personal care, housework, 
laundry, dropping by with donuts, phone calls, texts, cards, picking up my prescriptions, visiting and encouraging me to do my doctor-ordered short walks. It was love and deed and truth in action, and not only was my need met, but my daughter Sherry said how blessed she was that IBC was there when she could not be due to school starting, and she's a school teacher. The good that came out of this was friendships that developed with Linda Balzano and Teresa Grudo and are still ongoing. Love, indeed, and truth means the smallest deed is better than the biggest intention. One year CAT scan, 923 coming up, and let's all trust God together for results for our good and his glory. Um, I'm sorry I have to read this. <laughs> um, I'm usually the one with the big intentions, the kind that Linda spoke about. Um, when Fletch asked us to do this, I didn't expect to spend the whole week like in agony trying to figure out what to say. Um, did he want a shiny example of someone who shows love all the time, and that's not me? Um, I've experienced love in the countless um, visits and phone calls and, and meals and cards that were showered on me when I broke my ankle. I know what it feels like to be loved, but I never thought I compared um, to the really good lovers among us. Um, my method is usually to see a need and overthink what I could possibly do that would measure up to my big intentions, and then I fall um, miserably short. But that's the whole point. Um, I fall short. Um, when I don't think about me and I let the Holy Spirit move in me um, in seemingly small ways, um, genuine love happens. Um, you all probably already know that. Um, I see it all over this church in so many ways from so many people, but it took me a lot of prayer this week and hard thinking um, to realize that the love that happened here among us in this particular situation was the Holy Spirit. Um, the blessing of being able to meet a need and the privilege of being used as a blessing an instrument of blessing another person and the friendship and the boomerang blessing that came back to me um, was all the Holy Spirit and I thank God for his love and the love that he allows that I don't even have to think about when I do think about it, it doesn't work I don't know. I don't think I measure up to what Linda just said. <laughs> um, I just wrote a few words here. Uh, God knows how much we love a tender heart, a willing hand, or a gentle word, and how much we want the chance to say I care. God knew my need to shower love on others, so he gave me my special friend Linda to encourage and be there for her 
through all her difficult days. I am truly blessed to have gotten to know her. She has been an inspiration to me by her positive attitude and her deep love for Christ. She is a great example of what God's power in us can do. Thank you so much, ladies. Um, and you can find your seat. But isn't it an incredible testimony that as Linda was, Malabar, <laughs> was going through difficulty and suffering, that, that these two especially came around her and, and surround her in love. So many more, but these two especially. And then uh, love went from Linda into, into the two of them, and now the three of them are well, always together. And I was thinking, you know, you, you get the cliche terms like three amigos or, or three musketeers. But then I heard a different one that apparently you're, you're being called, and that's the three darlings. And I thought, <laughs> yeah. But how appropriate that is. Um, these three and their love for one another, birthed out of serving each other in love, is, is amazing. What a testimony to the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work. It's amazing. And that love that's demonstrated there and in, in so many other ways that we see that love is first pointing towards God. You know, we might, our affection for Linda, Linda and Teresa might grow a little bit from hearing this today, but ultimately our affection for God grows because we know that that love is coming from Him and it's, it's His work in us, in them. Brothers and sisters, we all know that we could love each other a little bit more and that we love ourselves a little bit too much. We're still battling against the flesh. And the, yet the Spirit continues to work and create and produce within us love, the love of God. And so the first way that you and I can allow this love to come through us, to be produced in us, is to go to Scripture, to open your, the Bible, the Word, and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking about the love of God. For the love of God is displayed on every page. It's where we see our Savior. It's where we see the face of God and hear the voice of the Spirit. And then after we take that time and we swim in the Word then we need to look around at the opportunities that God has placed in our lives to see the people who are there. Who can you encourage? Who can you, who can you give your time and your goods to? Who can you lift a heavy burden for? Who can you lend an ear to? Who can you serve today? Little, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. love is in you. Let it out. Serve. Let's pray. These things are, are much too marvelous for us to understand. Your love is so vast that our minds just melt before it. 
but I pray that you would reveal it to us more and more. Our understanding would grow, and as it grows, so the fruit of that love would be born in our hearts all the more, would pour out of us as you pour it into us. We thank you for the testimony of the Lindas and Teresa, the three darlings, and the way that you church and spreading into every one of our lives. May we be living examples of your love displayed on this earth. We pray that you would do that in the name of Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen.